Hello everybody, and you're all very welcome to episode 4 of In The Lamplight. I decided to dispense with my usual style of intro today and get chatting to you straight away lads, because I have a personal story to share at the start of today's podcast. Ooh, so hello Luke. Getting an exclusive, we're getting a skinny Rory. What are you going to do? It's about time. It's about, hi, Luke. Uh, hi Luke, hi Kieran. No, it's about time, because <laughs> uh, we always get asked the questions. I want to hear some stories from Kieran today. Yeah. Good. Right. Well, here you go. I have one. I have one. January 2014, lads. Here we go. Um, uh, we're living in Strand Hill. Sinead is pregnant with our second child. Um, and, you know, start of a new year. Uh, we're sort of chatting, uh, you know, what are we going to do this year or what, what's what's on the horizon? And we sort of thought, OK, so our child, who is now called Tom, <laughs> was is, was going to be born halfway through the year. And when when you have a baby like it doesn't really matter where you are to some degree. Like you're going to be changing nappies. You're going to be, you know, late night feeds. You're not going to be sleeping particularly well, you know, and you're going to be doing that. It doesn't really matter if you're doing that in Strand Hill or you're doing it in New York or you're doing it in Sydney. You know, it's, it's why I think it's a great time during this pandemic to have a baby because like you're not socializing, you know, that whole side of your life disappears for a while. So we were anyway, we were considering all this and we said, I wonder what, will we go to Mallorca for a while, you know, maybe for, for, for nine, 10 months or a year or something like that. And so I rang, uh, I rang this week's guest, um, Philippe Carbonell, who's, who's Mallorcan himself. And I, I was, you know, we were at the stage where we were sort of trying to think about, you know, accommodation or what part of the island would we go to, you know, we thought, thought, look, if we're going to be changing nappies and and not sleeping, let's try and do it in the sun, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> I love so, so we got, yeah. So we were we were we were well on the road with our thoughts, and that was so that was that was January twenty fourteen. Valentine's Day twenty fourteen came, and I was uh, Sinead was out. I was cooking dinner in the house uh, for for the two of us, and in arrived three local heavyweights from Fine Gael. and I said, "All right, lads, what's the crack? How are you doing?" And they said, we're grand. Uh, Sinead here. I said, no, she's out, but she should be back soon. And that was it. That was like the start of Sinead getting involved in, po- in politics. She ran for the local elections later that year, 2014, got into the council and uh, Mallorca was shelved. <laughs> she, she got into the council so, and ruined your dreams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was um, that was that was that was how. Well, we weren't that close, but I guess we were. We, we were considering it, you know, heading off to Mallorca for a while. It might happen again. You never know. But uh, we won't be changing nappies this time, I suppose, if we go out again. <laughs> it's mad to think, um, you know, having known you. I suppose I've known you since maybe 2015, 2016, and, and kind of haven't You might seen... never have got to know me, Luke. You might, might never have got, got to know me. I haven't seen uh, how your brand and, and everything that you do around Sligo has, has grown in that time. And, and even just how it has benefited me personally in terms of how many people I have met um, through team nights and things that you've organised and the, just the amount of avenues that that opened up for me in terms of work, in terms of having fun, in terms of creativity. Just even that that one, how how you moving away would have had an effect even just on me alone. And and then you mm-hmm. take the the massive amount of people that that kind of come under the team night umbrella and 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 are involved with all the different things that you do and the the sheer like amount of 
things that wouldn't have happened and, and these branching paths of possibilities. Just it could have from been that uh, one Luke, decision is immense. It could have been Luke Devani's <laughs> team nights. <laughs> Who knows? It could still be yeah, if you decide to move away. Out. Look at if you need someone to take them over, if you move away, then actually, you know what? To be fair, I don't want that because I don't think I could handle that amount of work. It's too much pressure. And Kieran, you must have like serious confidence in your ability to like. Um, to, to parent without any outside help or anything. I don't know, like, that you'd move away, away from, like, I don't know, family help or, like, friend help or whatever to live in the sun, but then you'd be like, you'd have two kids then. <laughs> like, to yeah, no, that's a great, that's time, a great you know? point. I know that's, that's, a, that's a great point. And, and, you know, we benefited so much from having, you know, my family's just down the road and Sinead's are 40 minutes away. So, you know, that just was such a help to us. But we, we both have always felt like it'd be great to just spend a year somewhere else, you know, and just try it. And, you know, it'd be great for the kids to experience, you know, they'd pick up a language or, you know, uh, it, anyway, it didn't happen then. I'm not sure will it ever happen. You never know. But uh, I have a um, weird one about this. So mine, on, isn't, yeah. mine isn't like about a place to move to, but I have a little bit of a kind of a, I don't know, a year, a year long fantasy or something in my head too, which is to sell everything apart from the stuff that I need to work, which is like my cameras and my barber and stuff, and kit out a van or a tiny home and then live in oh, that yeah. for like a year or something. And like, that's one of them. It's definitely one of them theories where it's like, oh yeah, that'd be class. You'd be like one with nature. You could just drive wherever you want. You know, you could spend a night uh, sleeping under the stars and then, you know, another night up on top of a mountain and, you know, you'd be really kind of free. But then at the same time, I know that I buy an awful lot of shit. And like, yeah. Yeah. what would end up happening then is I just have a van that would end up being, a, would have started its life as a house and then end up being a van for just all the stuff that I've bought in the year long that I've been in the back of the van. So I've pushed that off for that length of time. <laughs> I guess, yeah. And there's also the crack of picking up clients, like, I suppose, if you, you know, you might have all your, all your gear, but, but what, I mean... You're just going to rock into town and you should have a megaphone, megaphone at the top of the van, Rory. <laughs> no, but I'd still have <laughs> my shop. I'd still have my shop and I'd still operate around here, but it'd be like, if I wanted to go to Cork uh, at the weekend, accommodation is ready to go. You know what I mean? You can just land down, but you live in your van. That all spurred from a guy that came into my shop one time and he lives in a van. And I was like, how do you do that, man? And he was like, yeah. it is actually, once you, once you do the first couple of months of getting used to it, He's like, you walk in, this is what he said to me. I thought this was hilarious. He's like, I have friends that live in like conventional houses and they always invite me over for dinner or for drinks or whatever. And I love going over, but usually I spend most of the time going, what's this room for? Are you? And he goes, like, <laughs> halls. Halls are the most unimportant thing. In a house. They take up so much space. They don't do anything. <laughs> no, he's like, so he's standing in somebody's hall, shouting in at them, going, what's this thing for? What do you need? To <laughs> 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 no, that was great. Oh, if I was living in a van and I think it would be the same for you. What would happen to that van is it would it would get full of stuff. Uh, it would get full of, in my case, speakers and guitars and, and in your case, it'd be cameras and, and tripods and gimbals. And the van would get so full of stuff that you'd be sleeping in a sleeping bag at the back of your barbershop and I'd be sleeping on the couch in my studio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just own a van. <laughs> I just own a van full of stuff. <laughs> 100%. 
Oh, very good, lads. Well, look, <laughs> this week's guest, this week's guest did make the big move. We're talking about it. None of us have done it, but this week's guest did did make the big move. Um, he is a Mallorcan singer songwriter who has now been living in Strandhill for the last twenty plus years. He is a huge addition to our community here in Sligo. He's a man with a huge soul and a bigger heart. He's a founding member of the great band No Crows and also released a double album under his own name back in 2015. He is a massive Rafa Nadal fan and is passionate about the politics of his home country and region. And so it was there that I decided to start the interview. I hope you all enjoy it. Philippe Carbonell, you Kieran are... and Quinn, how are you? <laughs> Hi, well, I'm great. How are you? I'm 100%. Well, 98, maybe. 98, yeah. that's not bad now. Not bad Hi. for a Sunday. Um, come here, you're very welcome to the podcast. Very thankful to you for, for, for inviting me. Delighted to be doing something on a Sunday morning. Indeed, <laughs> indeed, yes. Come here, I, um, I know you've been in Sligo for many years at this stage, uh, but I, I'd like to start um, our chat today by taking you back so when you were nine years old mm. in Mallorca, uh, the country of your birth. Yep. And you went to see uh, a singer-songwriter called Raimon. That's right. Is you. that is that pronounced okay? It is perfectly pronounced, Raimon. Good, Raimon. Mm. And you had a pretty dramatic evening. <laughs> well, uh, not the first time, in fairness. Now, the, um, I might have written something wrong in my own website, but not the first time I went to see Raimon. But the second time, which is the which was the year after, the year when you were yeah. ten, when, right? Uh, yes. Okay. And uh, my brother and myself went to see the, the same sound writer. And and where was this? In, um, in the pa- second time was uh, the traumatic one was in um, in Sala Augusta, a cinema um, that was used in that particular day for for concert hall. Okay. It was a an, a big big cinema basically. In the city of Palma, in, in the Palma. capital, yeah. Okay, okay. But yeah, we had to... Um, and what happened? We had to uh, leave the premises, basically, encouraged by the cops. Uh, right, right. Because the songwriter sang one of the songs that was blacklisted in the censorship list, basically. So the cops came in and started batting, battening the shade of, <laughs> of the punters, including the... the including ten, the 10-year-old. The 10-year-old. No, I didn't... I didn't get near the the, um, the batons, but uh, because the brother who was uh, sixteen at the time, uh, he dragged me out of the place when he saw the the shit hit the fan. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, "Let's go, let's move out of here." But we had to run in the streets, right? In the streets, in the big avenue in the center of Palma, beside the Plaza España, we had to run direction home because the cops were a huge display. Okay, and how was uh, it about the song? Um. I think it was uh, Alvent, if I'm not mistaken, which is a, it's very subliminal, the message, as uh, they used to be in all, in all the songwriters of that particular era, when Franco was still alive, um, any political protest songs had to have the, the ways to pass on the message without saying things too clear. Chorus is Alvent, Alvent, La Car Alvent, El Car Alvent. Let's face the wind. Let's face the wind with our souls, with our heart, with our faces in the wind. So it was very, but it wasn't, it wasn't allowed. Or maybe it was another one, actually. It was the game, no. 
God, it's a while ago since uh, that happened. But anyway, okay. no, no, but uh, the no meant meant or means um, let's say no, and that was the subliminal message. So, <clears throat> uh, but because it was in the list, and because your man was watched by the political institutions of the time, they knew that he was going to do something wrong, and they were looking for an excuse to come into the the, the theater. And so, as soon as he sang this song, uh, in there the we game. go. Yep. So, and out you ran. And we didn't get the money back. No, <laughs> I know it was uh, was well towards the the end of what he had envisaged as it was going to be the okay. the concert. Yeah, but it was a very interesting uh, experience, and and I was looking at the brothers and what the heck is going on there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> my conscious, my political consciousness didn't arrive until later on. Okay, okay. Uh, at ten, I was still very childish and naive and didn't understand much apart from. I love the music, so let's go and see him. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a very interesting uh, start going to gigs in these circumstances. <laughs> yeah, so, like, am I right that this had some sort of influence on you becoming or wanting to be a musician? Uh, um, certainly, certainly. The fact that we, in the family, we all listen to music and we all love music. And my brother especially was very... Uh, was six years older than or is is six years older than me and was uh, politically active and in suburban movements of um, anti-Franco movement. So um, the the political thing and my experience of going to see concerts made me believe I wanted to be on that stage at a very early stage of my life. I, I love to be there and do what he's doing. You so know? was it the singing of the songs or was it the political aspect of, I, well, of, a bit of, both, a bit of both I, I suppose but yeah the political as as I said when I was 10 or 9 or whatever I hadn't a clue what was going on really it was only maybe 13 14 that I started getting a little bit of a, the picture of what was the story so my political thing wasn't as much but uh I do remember th- at 13 I wrote my first song which had a very strong political uh, thing more than political was uh, uh, environmental um, there was a, there is a still a beautiful small island, uh, not even an island, is a, what is the small island in, in each, in, islet, is it? I don't know, a, well, a, an outcrop, or yeah, a, a, little, a rocky outcrop. A, a little rock yeah, outside yeah, yeah. of uh, Mallorca called Dragonera, the island of the dragons, basically. And in 1977, there was a strong opposition against the, the urbanization, we used to call it, the, the hmm. development. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the actual island uh, was supposed to be sold and bought by this developer that was going to make a new Santa Ponza of the bloody island, you know. Right. So there was a very strong, and I remember going to protests at that age, at 13, uh, in the streets and, and coming up with home with the idea of writing a song, Dragonera for the dragons and not for the bastards. Good man. Um, <laughs> there you go. It in Catalan it rhymes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very uh, good. <laughs> and apologies for whoever is listening that might get offended by my language, but that's the way I talk. Sorry. No problem, um, Philippe. No problem at all. <laughs> so yeah, Dragonera pers dragons y no pers quebrons. So I wrote that. That was my first song. That was your first song at thirteen. And you said earlier you came from a musical household. Yeah. Your parents were were musical. They were musical, both of them, in different aspects. They met. My mother was a dancer in the traditional, traditional po- uh, folk music in, in a group of dancers. And my father used to play the laud and the bandurria, which is two folk instruments, in that same outfit. There was a, a, a band and a group of dancers, and that's where they met. 
Right. So um, amazing. So they did have a, a strong tendency for music, but uh, once they married, that was the end of it. I never saw my father playing or my mother dancing. Uh, Why was that? I don't Life know. took over. I guess that the one one sense it was like, uh, let's get married, let's have a family, forget about this, carry on, let's put the head down and work hard, uh, our okay. uh, heart yeah. to to keep the family up, you know. Yeah. And but uh, there was always music in the house, and um, my grandfather, my mother's father, used to sing uh, zarzuela, which is a Spanish equivalent to opera, and um, in the family there's uh, professional musicians and singers and all that. So there was a lot of we were listening to La Boheme and, and, and all sorts of uh, classical music in the house, but also uh, my brother's influence of the songwriters and the Catalan uh, of Judges, which is, was the, the 16 first uh, songwriters that started the, the movement of political songwriting in Catalonia. Okay. So, yeah, a lot of music in the house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, I suppose it lives on. Through you, Philippe, and through your daughters, and you know the the, the musical legacy passed down by your parents, yeah, which which I'm sure they'd be happy about. I'm I'm convinced that there is a genetic yeah. kind of a thing in yeah. in in the fact that we're all interested and we kept playing music. My yeah. brother taught me to play the guitar, lovely. So uh, then he parked, right? He parked it and, uh, and let me and let you it. keep going. <laughs> so um, we're going to do a song uh, shortly from your your early days uh, as a musician in Mallorca. This song it was it was it was a bit of a hit in Spain, is that right? It's that the Fe, Fe Canto. Fe Canto, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was a that was an interesting uh, story behind that song. Go on, uh, yeah. Um, it made me half a million rich. There you go. Yeah, but it was pesetas, <laughs> 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 and uh, and despite the fact that I should have been claiming most of the half a million pesetas, uh, we decided that. We were split it in the band. We bought equipment and we gave money to everyone. And, and we spent part of it recording it because we were allocated. Um, we won a prize, or th- three prizes. Best guitarist, not me, the lead guitarist. Best um, best lyrics in Catalan and best lyrics uh, for a campaign against the, the abuse of drugs okay. that the county council had organized in this particular contest. So the... The lyrics of the songs uh, talk about prostitution and the connection between prostitution and the use of heroin. So it's about a, a female junkie who is a prostitute as well. Nice and happy song, is it? Jim? Very happy yeah, song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it won those two main prizes for the lyrics. So, uh, but also we won the, the fourth best band in the contest and the best guitar. So, so we we ended up uh, recording that song in 1990 but we had a, about 30 hours allocated in the studio and <laughs> we didn't we didn't have enough with 30 so we had to pay from the money oh, for, for <laughs> the, more other, hours. the other 20 or 30 hours in the studio to record it from all so, the millions of pesetas pesetas. I remember being in Spain um, as a child and um, two things fascinated me about the pesetas because it was before yours it was mm-hmm. that I couldn't believe how much of it I had because I just didn't oh, yeah. understand the concept of the... But also, um, the coin with the hole in the middle. Oh, yes. That was the... That fascinated me. There's just this geez, hole in the middle of the coin. a long time ago. That was the 25 cent, I think, was it? Or, yeah, I think it was the 25 cent with the, of a peseta, which is... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. 0.00, 0 cent of a euro now or something like that. Yeah, but that, that was a 41... Okay, great. So this was recorded, Philippe, with, with Tumbet. Yes. Which was the, the main band you played with as a young musician in Mallorca. Yeah, okay. that's right. Yeah, okay. that was my 
third, second or third band, but that was the first one that I um, that I felt comfortable that we were going places. Okay, you know, okay. and and we did go places. We right. we traveled to the mainland to play a few a few gigs. <laughs> so, um, but then in '93, I thought it was the right time to give it up. And uh, in the middle of a gig, I announced at, after we finished the gig, uh, but uh, that was the last gig, lads. Okay. Oh, Philippe, don't leave us. Look, there is a there is a timeline for everything. Well, we might get into that story after the song. (laughs) Why uh, not? But um, this is this is fecanto. Fecanto. Do you you want to pronounce it better than me? Fecanto is uh, means to do the corner, literally, and is the 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 old expression that used to be used for the prostitutes that were working in the corners of the streets. You know. There's an additional part of that song. Driving back home, I used to go through the Porta Sant'Antoni, which is the square where all the prostitutes were hanging. And at the traffic lights, always looking around. And one of the nights, I've, I met a friend of mine. All right. Doing the business. Like, wow. I didn't know her that well, but yeah, I yeah. thought, Jesus. And that it triggered the song. Writing the song. Huh? Anybody could end up there. Yeah. <clears throat> right, let's do it. Well, let's go for it. One. Two, I want to. Multivall, sera na sera, da cons benals, mitges a seda, da manas vocal, prime que passa. Si tot va bé, serà el teu primer client. Fareu l'amor si es pot dir així i em va acabar tornaràs en taxi a fer carrer com tantes diners i un altre pigui així cada Penso una mica 
Desciutar miserias Música la vida vena Fesle un poema Y otra distinta Stuff. Lovely stuff is right. Ah, it's great to be able to play again. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it just? You have a quick drink, Philippe, mm. while I ask you the next question. <laughs> so that was uh, that was Fecanto, um, uh, written by Philippe, but but originally recorded by Tumbet. So so you just decided one gig that this this was the end of the band. What what happened there? Or why, why did that? Why, why did you make that decision? Um, I've been very erratic kind of a personality myself through all my life and uh, and there i think that there is times for for everything and at that moment i thought that we were in a in a good place we were getting some gigs every now and again and and proper gigs but that was as far as we were going to get i thought and it's like a a boxer that retires before before he loses his uh, his belt. <laughs> that's the way I thought. Is that that's as far as we're going to get? Maybe leave it there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I know. It. And personally, I was going through uh, personal issues at the time, and I thought mm, I don't have the energy to keep going with this project, uh, and I need to put my head in somewhere else. So, okay. So that was, have you have you ever regretted it? Um, relatively, yes, because the way I was seeing it at the time probably was the peak of our career as a band, but. You know, it could have been easily, we could have got a record deal or something. I don't know. We were we were very original, uh, relatively, uh, at the time because uh, there was uh, several decades that any bands in that were doing original material were, uh, were singing in, in Spanish. Then there was a, a time that there was tendency to sing in English. Then there was another time there was the rock, the Movida del Rock, the, in the 1980s. There was a Spanish uh, language in, in the rock scene. And we took uh, initiative, myself and another another two or three bands in that started this movement of singing in Catalan, which was our language, or is it still our first language. Yes. And, and we were very innovative as well because we weren't only playing rock. We were playing a lot of Latin-influenced uh, music, like between salsa. We only had a drummer... When Toffel joined us in 1992, I think, so we had two percussionists, Latin percussion, congas and timbales, and all the, the Cuban mm. Uh, mm. and Afro Afro uh, Afro American um, uh, percussion instruments. So we we had a very unique sound, and we could have developed. I don't know, but look, it was time to it was time to pack. <laughs> Fair enough. No, Hang there the is gloves. a time. Yes, correct, correct. <laughs> so I guess the next chapter in your life 
brought you to a new country, to, mm. a, new, to a new part of the world. And uh, um, while, while I'm sure there are some listeners out there who, who have heard this story and know, know how you ended up in Sligo, I think it's a great story. And I'm sure there's other people out there who haven't a clue. And, and from this strong Mallorcan background and, and you're, you know, you're obviously very proud of where you come from and from, your, much. from your, of your language and of, mm. of your music. It's very interesting that you, that you ended up in Sligo. Yeah, I met Dervish through a friend of mine. Um, there was a girl from Mallorca. He used to go out with one of the lads from Dervish and she was living here in Sligo. And she was a friend of common friends, basically. And... And at some point in 1992, <clears throat> this uh, friend of my <clears throat> friend of ours, which was the connection, mentioned to Pep from Lorient, which is our good friend who runs the pub, in uh, to see if uh, if he would be able to put up with a, a band of uh, musicians coming over from Ireland in his pub to play a, a little session, and he was delighted to do that. But he had no money to to pay them properly or to pay the expenses of travelling. And at the time, 92, there was no Ryanair's. So there was no cheap flights. Mm. Uh, so he came over to me. I was working in the county council as an arts officer. And he said, there's a bunch of uh, Irish fellas that want to come along to play in my pub. Any chance that the council could throw us a few bob, make them or organize another gig for them and a proper gig in a theater or something. And then you could pay for the flights and, and the, the accommodation, whatever. So so we did. Right. I, I convinced my superiors in, in the council and uh, it was serious success of a, of a gig and that was the first time that Dervish came to Mallorca funny enough I was playing a gig somewhere <laughs> and I didn't meet them that time okay so it was uh, just a year after after the listen to their CDs and and that we established a bit of a relationship with Brian McDonough especially was the my first uh, real friend in Ireland and uh, several years after when when uh, Dervish had been in Mallorca or playing gigs that myself and Pep organized uh, in a private way uh, without the council, but with the council given as a, a little bit of a support. Then eventually I decided to come over to Sligo to pay uh, a visit to to Brian and I hang around in Brian McDonald's for about two weeks. There you go. <laughs> Squatting. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so yeah, okay. long story. And eventually then I met Rose uh, and she moved to Mallorca first and then we moved back to, to Ireland to Sligo in 98. So Rose is your wife? Yeah, Rose is the wife. Rose is yes. the, the <laughs> wife, as they say. Yeah. Very good, okay. And you met her through through this through gang. Dervish, through yeah, this Dervish, yeah. Funny gang. enough, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, Philippe. Well, look, um, uh, it's great that you, you ended up here and I'm, I'm going to, before we go into our next song, um, when you chose this song, it reminded me of a gig uh, that I saw you play, you know, in my very early days as a musician here. I think it was part of the Strand Hill Guitar Festival. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think Jerry Grennan and Shamie O'Dowd and a few lads ran this festival for a few years. That's right. And there was a gig in the back room of the Strand um, with yourself and Mike Nielsen. Oh, God almighty. Yeah. That was a great time. That was a brilliant gig. Oh, man. I remember seeing that and being, I, I'd never seen either of you play before. And uh, you were playing, I think, classical guitar yeah. at the time. And, yeah. and and Mike, you were sort of providing a lovely uh, rhythm and a lovely bedrock yeah. on which Mike could go mad on top of. And it was it just... Was, it was very interesting because, shame you doubt, the devil was the one that had the idea of throwing myself and Mickey Nielsen to play together. Right. I said, shame you mad. Yeah. You should be playing with Mickey Nielsen, not me. I'm only an average guitar player. But no, no, no. You know, Chevy, you'd be persuasive. And or Mickey and myself maybe have met two or three times before in a 
very informal situation, but we didn't know each other. And I was terrified to play with the the big Mickey Nielsen. Yeah. But years later, we became very good friends and we are still are. And he told me that he was like, why well, he's terrified of playing with the real thing, the legend Mallorcan guitar player. Oh. So it was very funny. Well, whatever energy came oh, into that was, gig, it all came back it, out. It was, it was really magic. I, yeah. I do remember, I think, the adrenaline and the nerves of, of the responsibility of having to perform with such a yeah. talented musician that Mickey is. Yeah. We, we both stand up our levels of uh, yeah. playlists. Yeah, the yeah. capacities anyway. So yeah, it was very good, fun. very good. You're not playing classical guitar today, Philippe. No, uh, no. If, you, if you watch the videos of these of these performances, you will see the beautiful guitar Philippe is playing on, yeah. on this on this show. Tell us about it. I just uh, I had a notion. I've been playing jazz for a long time, and uh, I haven't been playing electric guitar for about thirty years. All right. And uh, and uh, and in the middle of that lockdown, I was playing jazz at home and, and doing bits of recording, and I thought. I'd love to get a proper jazz guitar. And uh, and I put word to through a few friends and, and one of them said, I have one. So <laughs> and then I took it abroad at home and I said, you're not getting it back. There you so, go. Cheers, own. <laughs> I would wager that there's that a lot of musicians probably did something similar during lockdown, oh, especially yeah. guitarists who just never have it. I'd say there was a lot of kind of slightly depressed and slightly bored guitarists sitting around in their houses and said, do you know what would make me feel much better now? Another guitar yeah. <laughs> to add to the nine that I already have. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> How many guitars does a guitarist need? Yeah. Just one, one more. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's this what's this one we're gonna do now, Philippe? We'll play Misty. We'll play Misty. Why Lovely. wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? We'll play Misty for you. Very good.
beautiful, the two of you. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. Um, I wanted to talk to you just, yeah, about the most recent project we worked together on. Now, I only had a very small part in it, hmm. but it was a, a, a tribute video you put together for a, a, a great friend of yours, Tony Renez. Hmm. Uh, you, uh, you used one of your own songs, uh, which is yeah. one of my favorite songs of yours, I Am You Mare. Thanks. Um, it's, it's a lament to yeah. the sea hmm. and to... To my mother. To, really. oh, to your mother, really, yeah. okay. Yeah, but um, in, a, in a funny way. So. Right. <laughs> no, keep, keep, okay, well, look, yeah. I just wanted, to, I suppose, mm. first of all, to talk about the song. It, it's, it's brilliant video fully put together of, mm. I guess, lots of musicians and other people from Sligo uh, singing and playing this song. Um, in tribute, in tribute yeah. to your friend who passed away recently. Tribute to Tony, yeah. Tony was one of the most unique characters that I, I met in my entire life. And he was a seriously dear friend of mine. He's a brother. And he was just uh, 60, going to, turning into 61 the, the week after he died. And uh, and it was a shock to everybody that knew him because it was, wasn't expected whatsoever. Died of a heart attack. He had the heart... <sighs> The big, biggest than a house, uh, and uh, and he failed. His heart failed, and gone he was. And um, on the fourteenth of March, two days after the announcement of the school closures and the the, the start of this carry on with COVID, and uh, in one sense, I think that he was better off going that day rather than putting up with that crap that we had to co- put up with in the last seven months. You know. Yeah. But yeah, uh, he was a serious character, and he helped me with the. He was a Blues man, uh, bass player, uh, producer, and uh, recording engineer, and he recorded uh, one of the two albums that make up my solo uh, double album. So the one recorded in Mallorca was him that recorded. But he was um, he was like a mecenas. Mecenas is the, the Med- Medici, you know. Uh, he was he was a poor fella, had no money, uh, great crack. Um, but anything that he had, he would love to share with people that that. Um, that were in the music industry starting off, like when we were starting off, he was a good bit older than us. He was just helping with everything, and we were rehearsing in his uh, in his house, which is now the studio that he set up. Eventually, we weren't paying any rent whatsoever. The only way that we were paying him is when we were getting any gig, we would hire him and his equipment, and and then pay him peanuts. Really, okay. <laughs> so see, he was losing by by letting us play there, and then when he had to work, he was wasn't getting enough anyway, money wise. But but he was a, a real character. So yeah, we we came up. Or um, I was supposed to be in Mallorca for the the tribute that uh, friends of his, uh, with the help of the county council in Palma, uh, put together a, a lovely festival, twenty bands and many more that that wanted to be there but couldn't. Uh, be there, so uh, I decided that I wasn't going to travel under the current circumstances, and that um, instead that I would send a wee video. And and in in three days' time, I rang you and I rang a few other people and said, "Would you sing a little bit or play a little bit?" And and so yeah, everybody did their bit, and and it came out as a lovely, lovely yeah. tribute. I think, uh, despite the fact that I'm no techie for uh, doing audio recording nor nor video recording, but. It did. It came out. It was, it came a, it was a lovely. It was a lovely yeah. tribute, and um, I guess, yeah, it 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 struck me that when you were talking there about Tony, that he he just seems like a really a really special person to have oh, in your life over the years. Totally, you have some good stories about him, uh, I'm sure. Apart from his uh, 
goodness, uh, as a, a lovely person that spread word, uh, love to, to anybody that he knew. He was a rough character that behind his rough face, he had this big heart. But, uh, but he was mad as a hat, like all sort of stories. We, we could write a book. I think every single one of us that knew him could write a, a particular book. But I, I'll tell you one funny story. Go on. In, in, uh, in 2011, I sold my flat in Mallorca and eventually there was so much shite in the, in the, in the house that I had to empty it. And there was a lot of things that I thought they have to come to Ireland. So I rang Tony. Tony, he was always, he had vans, he had everything that you needed. So Tony, any chance that you could help me with that? He said, well, yeah, well, my van is fucked, but, uh, but I have a friend, Lorenz, and we could come over to Ireland with the van eventually, we'd bring you all the stuff. So they did. So, of course, I rang Rose, my wife, and I said, look, Tony and Lorenz are going to come over in, in, in a week's time with, with the gear, with the van with all the, the furniture mm. and bits and pieces and books and uh, CDs and albums, uh, vinyls and things like that, that I wasn't being able to carry in a plane. And he said, oh, geez, if he does that, go to the supermarket and buy wine, buy beer, buy whatever is cheap. He said, oh, all right. Well, I want to double check what uh, is the legal amount uh, of stuff uh, that you can bring yeah. because uh, I didn't want to put the two lads in in trouble with uh, with uh, customs so sure. so i researched and i found out that there is a huge amount of of stuff that you can carry and be in in the legal side of things so we we filled the van with all the drink and tobacco and then liqueur and beer and wine and everything <laughs> that apart from a paella dish that also uh, i still have at home anyway so the lads came over took the ferry from uh, palma to barcelona across from barcelona to cherbourg In about 10 hours, right. Tony was telling me, Lorenz is the, 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 the Emerson Fittipaldi of the, of the road. <laughs> He was driving like mad. Yeah. And anyway, got to uh, Cherbourg, took the ferry from Ch Cherbourg to Roslaire, and in Roslaire, the customs stopped him. And, and Tony had bugger all English. Like, it was, his English was cat. Yeah. And uh, Lorenz had none whatsoever. So the customs asked some questions that Tony might have interpreted his own way and as answered in his own way, but he didn't understand the next question. It was, any alcohol or tobacco? And Tony went, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. For me, all for me, oh, only for me. <laughs> so, and <laughs> I let them go anyway, they, yeah? <laughs> without even searching uh, if there was a lot or yeah. not enough of uh, tobacco and, and uh, drink. But he, Good man, Tony. But the way he was putting up, you said, oh, yes, yes. Yeah. But for me, for <laughs> me, personal use, you, me. <laughs> At the time that we were, we were um, rehearsing in his studio, he, he had a plantation of marijuana outside in, in, in his garden in the back, the size of a freaking indoor football pitch nearly. <laughs> know, maybe, maybe a bit exaggerated, but it was huge. But the plans were way higher than me. And he lived about one mile from the f***ing runway of the airport. <laughs> and we were saying, Tony, are you f***ing mad? The planes are, are, are going down and look at all the f***ing marijuana. It was so f***ing obvious. Oh, don't, don't you worry. I have tomatoes. Uh, uh, I have uh, red balls. No, this kind of thing. Noses. A, 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 stuck, a stuck hanging there so people will think they're tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of a character he was. When we come around to it, we might do the next song for Tony. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, if 
Philippe, do you miss home? Do you miss Mallorca? Especially um, now when you can't travel there. Yes, in one sense. Because of the fact that this uh, summer had been so quiet in the island, all my friends and um, people that are still in touch through social media and all that, I said, Mallorca is absolutely beautiful again without all the the tourism, uh, the massive tourism that go to the island. So that they were showing me pictures of the beaches and in places that normally would be absolutely packed with drunken uh, tourists and, and they were practically empty. So that time I missed it back in May or yeah. June before yeah. before they open up the, the borders again. Uh, yeah, I do miss, but as, as I say in the lyrics of I'm Umara, what I do miss much is the friends, the family. Uh, the island as a what it is has become such a different thing in the last 23 years since I'm in Ireland that the last time I was there, I didn't recognize it as my land. So I had a heartbreak uh, situation. That was the last time I was in Mallorca because I felt this is not this is not what I left behind. So um, I'm very happy to be where I am, surrounded by lovely people, lovely musicians, lovely landscape, Strand Hill, and I know where my roots are, and I have this very very clear and uh, and I want to go back when I'm dead, in the form of ashes, right. to to be. Scattered in the Mediterranean, if we're allowed. If we're allowed. <laughs> but, Fingers uh, yeah. crossed, Philippe. Fingers oh, crossed, no. that's a long way off. I hope so. Indeed. For my own sake. For all of our <laughs> sakes. For all of our sakes. Well, look, we might do, this is, uh, this is, this is my favourite song that you've ever ah. written. We've, we've, we've played it together loads. It, it featured on, on the first album I ever put out because I loved it so much. Um, you tell us about it. It's one of these, um, what's the word? Surrealistic thoughts about love and about uh, dependence and codependence. I sometimes read the, the lyrics myself and I said, what the heck did I mean by when I was writing that? Sometimes I don't understand it myself. But um, yeah, it was, I wrote it on the piano, believe it or not. And I, uh, I just uh, used the descending movement of uh, Packel Bell's Canon. Basically, there's or how many people have copied that same chord progression, you know, but um, I had to express my my feelings at the moment with with lyrics that sometimes uh, there was one bit of lyric that came separate to another, but uh, it's about the distance, the the love that is not supposed to happen. Kind very of, good, kind of on that line. Very good, very good, <laughs> lovely. We'll do this. Do we'll this do for that. Your, yeah, and for uh, your friend Tony. And uh, yeah, we can dedicate it to Tony and, and dedicate it to you as well, Kieran, because you you pushed you pushed the boundaries when you, when you did your own album. Remember, um, I was still debating about starting the project of what it was my first album, and so was Cathy. Right, that's right. Yeah. And you were the first one of the three of us that, and Jamie, I think. Uh, I think was, Jamie had won out a wee bit before. Maybe now. he had. But, but maybe he had. Certainly, I remember talking to you and Cathy about yeah. it at the time. Um, and uh, and look at Cathy. Brought two sins, yeah, yeah, and uh, and I have one, yeah. and I might have another one yet. Good man, that's you the never top. know. That is the spirit. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, so this is entre two et Joe. Between you and me. So why don't you why don't you take this in? I'll okay. come in the second intro, and then Luke okay. will come in the, the second verse. You should give me a nod. Yeah, sure. Okay, so I'll yeah. You take it in. You better be filthless. Sound wise, um, from me, do you prefer this? a single read sound or this which is a double read sound oh 
absolutely feel free to use one or the other. Look, I, I, I don't mind at all. Any thoughts, you? Can you play the chords with each? Probably the double. All right. Yeah, I think so too, yeah. que separa el teu cervell del meu és un àngel de gel esculpes a l'estrès del dematí no és bé que la por de la i Una brella dins de l'ascensor I jo M'han oblit de la por La lluita implica més que un gran esforç Però Sombres entren dins l'habitació I tu No les veus i t'adorms Somies les tendreses de la sort Fins que Desperta el record La llum congela tot el temps passat i jo sento el foc a les mans desitjos que es resignen a la mort d'allò Entre tu i jo La llum congela tot el temps passat I jo 
La lluita implica més que un gran esforç Per allò That was gorgeous. I, I always love playing that song with you. Ah, and thanks, uh, and thanks for writing it. Perfect. And thanks for coming in today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks the other way around. Thank you, Luke and, and Kieran, for, for, for asking me to be part of this. Um, and Rory. And Rory, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely a, a pleasure. Rory, and, the man behind the camera. Oh, yeah. We don't see much of him, but he's, he's there. I, that's that's the very important ones. They're the ones I think that we he looks better see. behind the camera. He <laughs> looks so as much do better. I, Luke, as do I. <laughs> very good. Well, look, um, Philippe, uh, keep keep it up. Oh, sure. Keep writing, keep playing, and keep the head up through all this, as we're all trying to do. Keep and uh, we'll keep her lit, as they say in Strandhill. Keep her lit in your new I home, like Strandhill. Yeah, keep her uh, lit. Yeah, we have to. We have to keep going. Let's, let's uh, This is going to be a long process before we get out of this. Yeah. So keep positive, positive thinking, and and uh, when when we're out, when we're out of this crack, there's going to be some mad party. Then we're all going to be allowed to be fun. Hopefully, we won't be getting chased out of places by the cops. No. Apart no. from that, <laughs> I'm up for renting. I'm up for renting once this is all over. Uh, Philippe, yeah. thanks a million, man. Thank we'll you, see you soon. Thanks, okay. lads. Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, there we go. Philippe Carbonell. He's a real treasure, lads. I, I always feel with Philippe, you don't even need to know what the lyrics mean. You know, his soul yeah. just comes through so clearly in his voice mm -hmm. that yeah. it's obvious what the song is about. I mean, Entre Tui Joe, it was just magic. What, what, what did you make of the whole thing yourselves, Luke? Uh, I, you've, you've summed it up perfectly there now already, is, is that... I don't think you need to in, understand the lyrics to enjoy Philippe as a you know a performer. And I, I've there's two, not even on the podcast, but I can think of two great examples of that. So one was actually your uh, the Elvis theme night where um, Philippe performed uh, what was it? All shook up. He did all shook up, but he did it in Catalan. And um, I think what yes. was it? It was. Uh, Stick Chukat. I'm sure I've butchered that now, and that was pure phonetic from memory. But Sounds Stick Chukat. Sounds yeah, perfect yeah, to me. Yeah, look at <laughs> We won't fight about it. Uh, Philippe can, can <laughs> give, Philippe can give me an angry phone call if it was wrong. And um, but it was it was uh, everything it needed to be. Like it was bouncy, it was swingy, it was rocking and it was rolling, and there was a bit of cheek in it and everything. And I didn't need to understand the lyrics to enjoy it um, I had a lick of understanding of, of what the lyrics were, and I don't even know if there's like a correlation between the English lyrics. And, and the Catalan that he, he was singing, but it was still great. And um, another great example of it, I, I, was, uh, I was on a small little tour over in Switzerland last January, and, and Philippe was part of that. Oh, wow. And um, 
as part of that performance, he sang this um, like a, a lament, uh, like a. Um, it was uh, he 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 ex- introduced it and explained it as a, a song that workers in the fields in Mallorca would um, sing as they were working, and and. Um, and it was just him uh, on his own, no accompaniment, just vocal. And uh, he wailed this thing out and um, <laughs> there was despair in it and it was full of sorrow. And, and and I got all of that. I got all of those emotions without understanding a lick of what he was actually saying. But I still yeah. knew what it was about and it was amazing it's like Sinead mentioned on last week's episode you know she spoke about the great operas and that the lyrics could be all in German or Italian and yeah. you know if the singer conveys the emotion correctly yeah um, it doesn't matter that we yeah. don't understand what, what words are coming out of her mouth you know and it's, I think it's I think it's the same with Philippe he's like a Mallorcan silver fox he's just effortlessly cool he landed outside he the is, studio yeah. in like full kind of military like <laughs> Lowdown yeah, or something. Yeah. Can't remember his reasoning for doing that. I know he explained to me why he was wearing his beret or something. I think it was uh, something to do with the I think it's because he, he, yeah, because he knew he'd be talking a bit about politics on the show. I think so. He oh, wants that to get, was it. get himself in the mood for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he just wanted to wear his beret, <laughs> which instantly put me in yeah. a good mood. I was in good form. Yeah. Okay, Karen. This week I'm going to ask you a question. If that's all right. Um, oh yeah. You, all right. you usually kind of ask your questions at the start, and I thought I'd squeeze one in, and it kind of comes from the fact that you know, listen back to these podcasts, you know, before we get set up, and I like the way you you do your interviews. I like the way you handle yourself, <clears throat> but. Thank you. So for the so for the listeners uh, that might know, when we're in mid production, uh, a lot of our correspondence they happen over WhatsApp. So we'll text each other and we'll or we'll Zoom call each other or whatever. So level five restrictions, we can't meet up. So we do a lot of Zoom and and WhatsApping. But today, uh, somebody put into the WhatsApp group, what time are we recording? Because we're recording um, our reactions and intros and outros at a, at a different point to the podcast being recorded. And, and Luke put into the WhatsApp group today, he said, hey lads, what time are we recording at tonight? And it was quarter past nine or something like that. But instantly... When, when I hear that we're recording, my brain just fires off. I'm like, boom, okay, Rory, get into talk mode. I, like, I even started talking out loud to myself in the car, getting my voice ready for the, you know, like what questions could be asked of me? And will I get the questions right? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Usual kind of, I don't know. But you uh, always have such a great way of, of, um, of speaking. I've seen it in team nights. I've seen it uh, in the poems you do for this podcast, for example. Anytime you're put in a dialogue situation, uh, you seem to perform fairly well. And I just wondered, did you have a process for that? Or should I just keep panicking in my car? Or is there a, is there a better way? <laughs> is, is there a better way of, of, of preparing yourself for dialogue? Right. Wow. Okay. Um, just when you were asking that question, Rory, it reminded me so much of an interview I actually saw last night on TV. Um, uh, Tommy Tiernan was on with Brendan O'Carroll. Um, okay. And and Tommy was asking Brendan uh, a similar question. Um, and Brendan O'Carroll was saying that for years he did what you do. You know, he'd be he'd be preparing for an interview on the Late Late Show and he'd be there for the, the, the week beforehand trying to figure out what questions he was going to be asked. And he'd be he'd be literally it was exactly what you said, Rory. He'd be walking around his room and he'd be saying out loud his answers and practicing his answers. And he's saying, right, if he asked me this, I'm going to ask, I'm going to answer this. 
And eventually he just he just said, what I do now is I just blank my mind going out onto the stage. And I just okay. have confidence in myself that if I am myself, that I'm going to come across okay. You know, so he says, I don't practice. I, you know, I, I, I've been looking forward to be, this interview with you, Tommy, for ages. I'm a big fan of yours, but I didn't practice for it. I sort of figured that, you know, if I go out and just have a chat with you as Brendan O'Carroll, not as, uh, you know, whoever I'm trying to be, well, then it's going to come across okay. And, and I suppose that's what I try to do, Rory. It's just, and look, I'm not saying I could always do it. Um, that's certainly not the case. But the longer I've done it or the more I've introduced shows or I've, you know, uh, this is obviously new, this 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 interviewing and chatting on a podcast. But the more I do it, the more I believe that if you're just yourself and you treat it like you're having a chat with a couple of mates in the pub or or, or on the beach or wherever it is, you know, um, I think that that's that's it for me, man. It's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's no huge secret to it. Um, but 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 I I just heard Brendan O'Carroll say this last night and I, I just thought you know he he has it nailed and and I think that's that's yeah I don't know does that help you or it's it, it's probably just get to the stage where you're kind of like just go for the chat so next week I'm not going to listen to the podcast back I'm not going to do any research I'm not going to think anything <laughs> at all I'm just going to come in I'm going to come in blind let's see what happens lads I know that was very good Karen fair play to you thanks man yeah let's do it Rory why don't you yeah, try that man. You might not have got um, any tips or anything out of Kieran there that you, you were looking for, but I actually have a tip for you on that front, right? If you find yourself in your car panicking, what you do for yourself is buy yourself a van and then you'll have much more room to panic. <laughs> and then and then a couple of months later, I'll have no room to panic again. In the van, yeah. Then you just buy a bigger van. <laughs> you'll end up with a, a full... Um, uh, articulated semi uh, truck and it'll be full of gear and you'll just have a wee corner at the back to just sit and panic in. Where's Rory? He's <laughs> under the Arctic truck panicking because it's, it's full of stuff. <laughs> Luke, I love the way you've tied, tied this whole episode together. That is quality, man. That is quality. Uh, I'll just be totally here waiting, waiting for the chance. Waiting for the chance. Sharp yeah, the man. Very good. Very good. So look, we're halfway through season one, lads. That's, uh, that's four Yo. episodes down. Four to go. And I must say, we were just chatting before this. We've been bowled over with the reaction we've got from everybody, all the listeners out there so far. It really is lovely um, to know that so many of you are listening, uh, watching our videos, uh, and we really, really appreciate the feedback and comments that you leave. Um, Luke, you have a comment you'd like to read out from Facebook earlier. Is that right? <clears throat> yeah, this was a really nice one we got today um, on uh, the video that we put out of Sinead singing Midnight Train to Georgia. This is from um, a lady called Catherine Conair. Um, hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Um, mm -hmm. And she said, I've just come across this podcast quite by accident while out walking. What a brilliant interview and singing with Sinead Conway. As a Sligo native living in the Midlands, this podcast is a must for me every week. Glad, Sinead, you decided the UK wasn't for you. You're way better than that. Well done, Kieran, Luke and Rory on a great production. Lovely. Lovely. And yeah. she, she, she remembered to include me in the thanks. Unlike Philippe, <laughs> Philippe Carbonell, and I'll never forget that. Oh, that's a little bit of uh, that's a little bit of a grudge now. That's going that's going to stick for years. Oh, okay, he won't um, be on the Christmas card list this year. He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. <laughs> um, I have. Uh, it's just interesting you said about you know a Sligo person living away from Sligo. Um, I guess. Uh, 
you know, that 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 would be lovely to hear from people from Sligo who are living mm-hmm. in Dublin or London or further afield, you know. Um, For sure. It's a great way, you know, and we'd love to to know if we're connecting with some of you guys out there. This this We got an email from Australia, lads. Um, this is from a friend of mine in, 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 in Melbourne, Matthew Carey. And Matthew actually was huge. He was a big influence in, in us starting this. You know, he was a big man to encourage me. He hosts a podcast himself. I was a guest on his podcast uh, last year. It's called Studio Time. And it's a really, really interesting podcast with with sort of creative people from all over the world. And it's just an insight into the into their creative process. Um, that's called Studio Time. And this is from Matthew Carey, who, who was encur- very encouraging that, that, that we should get, get up and running doing one. Uh, Hi, Kieran and crew. I'm doing a bit of a catch up. I listened to your preview episode when it dropped. Then my next listen was the episode with Sinead, Sinead Conway. You're off to a great start. The banter has loads of energy. The audio quality is top class. There you go, Luke. And Thank the performances you. are really something. Um, you may have made this clear in the previous episodes, but who is doing what when it comes to the music? And are the performances totally live or are some of the BVs and keyboard organ pads added in later? Um, Luke, do you want to do you want to address that uh, question? Um, because you are in charge <laughs> of the audio. I mean, firstly, firstly, I would like to say that you know, it's something that I think we need to maybe work on for the next season is is just to make it clear, you know, that these performances are happening live in the middle of the interview and they are, ha- you know, we're not adding any extra bits in afterwards. You know, it's all done by us in the, on the spot and in the moment. Um, but Luke, sorry, you might have something to add to that. Yeah, well, that's, that's, I mean, that's pretty much it. Um, we we don't add anything in afterwards because I suppose we want to kind of retain that very very live feel. You know, we're not out for for absolute perfection. Uh, we're not recording albums. Um, um, things like uh, like if you watch the Midnight Train to Georgia uh, video this week, you know you'll see Kieran playing his keyboard and you hear a piano and an organ. And just all we've done there is um, I'm passing the signals from his keyboard through a piano plugin and an organ plugin at the same time. So um, it is actually Kieran playing the piano and the organ at the same time. Talented um, man, what a talented, <laughs> yeah, talented man. man. So that's what's going on there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, we do everything live, and uh, yeah, I think maybe when we start recording uh, the next season, we can maybe be a bit more clear about that. You know, maybe we can just say, you know, who's playing what instrument before a track, because I suppose we kind of forget that whilst you know we're in the room and you know people can see that Kieran's at his keyboard and, and we can see that I've picked up the bass guitar or something. That um, if we don't actually explain that then the people that are listening have, have really no context for that so yeah we'll get yeah, on that because yeah. um, it's not that's yeah. not the only person that has uh, said that to us no we've heard we have had a few other people mentioning that Luke I mean Luke has played so far on the podcast in the first in the preview episode on the first four episodes Luke has played bass guitar acoustic guitar accordion dobro so any I might be missing something but any extra instruments are generally played by Luke. You know, the guest is either singing or playing their instrument. I'm generally on the keyboard or piano uh, and whatever else you hear is probably Luke. Um, <laughs> that couldn't sum uh, Luke up as a musician any better. Yeah, so like what yeah, you see yeah, with us yeah. is what you get and hidden behind that door is Luke and we don't know what he's playing. He could have been playing anything. <laughs> uh, that reminds me of one of the, I can't remember what episode it was, but somebody turned around to Luke and was like, Luke, what are you playing for this one? 
And he was like, oh, he's thinking about guitar. And somebody said, oh, I should play something mad this time. As in, like, <laughs> just take one of your mental skills there and just play a mental tune over the top of this song that you've never played with before. So I'm, like, uh, I'm like the musical equivalent of, of like, just the polyfiller. You can just stick me in whatever hole uh, needs filling in the song. And, <laughs> I'll, and I'll fill it. I won't be that quite... That can't go on the podcast. <laughs> I won't be quite as good. <laughs> It'll never be quite word. as good as plasterboard, <laughs> but it'll get the job done. Oh, oh my God. Cut her there, boys. Cut her there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. All right. Well, on that note, on that note, um, we still have no sign off, but look, we can't beat what Lucas just said, I don't think. Thank you yeah. very much to everybody for listening. And we hope you enjoyed our chat with Philippe, our tunes with Philippe. And uh, we'll see you all for episode five. See you later, guys. See you next week.